By the year 750, all of North Africa was basically decimated of Christians. As a matter of fact, by 750 uh, AD, all of Spain and, and uh, or most of Spain and Morocco had been conquered from the Mediterranean. That's a huge tract of land. A lot of this is not going to be reported in your history in your schools, but from so many excavations today, you know, a lot of this has been discovered. It was said that a soldier sitting on a horse could not see above the hill of heads from people that had been conquered, that had been decapitated. In a nutshell, the Muslim Crusades were offensive. They lasted 400 or 1,400 years. There are 548 records, 548 battles, sorry, on records. And these left 270 million people dead. Joining Tanya tonight is our good friend, Pastor Dan Vachon. Dan is a chapter leader in Sydney, Nova Scotia. He's also the chapter team leader for the Maritimes and the, the National Pastor Coordinator. He's an integral part of Action for Canada, always willing to step in where needed, using his gifts and talents to help others, and he's a faithful and powerful prayer warrior. It's always such a pleasure to have Dan on the Empower Hour. And will you all now please help me welcome Tanya Gaw and Dan Vachon. Thank you, Heather. It is so good to be back. It's a new year. Um, before Dan and I get at it here, I just want to encourage people that if you're not um, here with us live, please go to the description because I just did an amazing weekly update that you have to watch. I give some wonderful good news reports and then I go into the reasons uh, why tonight's program is of great concern. I provide more evidence of what's actually taking place in Canada and some places around the world as far as Islamic infiltration and the rise of anti-Semitism. And so I think it's really important for us to be educated uh, as we go into this. And so, Dan, I, you know, am so excited to have you on the show tonight. And because I think that this issue is one that is, um, you know, really raising uh, in a matter on social media in people's personal conversations within the church, but a lot of people don't have their history down. They don't understand the details. And so hopefully we're going to answer a lot of those questions tonight. But first, let's start with a, a verse that I think is um, really pertinent and will help people understand a little better as to the war between the Palestinians and Islamists generally throughout that area and what God has to say about it in his word, and that's not only in the Old Testament, but also supported in the New Testament, which I know you'll be going over. So Psalm 105, 8 to 11, it says he, we're talking about God, remembers his covenant forever, not temporarily, <laughs> but forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob, for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. Now, Dan will be going over Abraham and his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. But this verse is very important because you can see the covenant was through Isaac and not Ishmael. And so, Dan, I am looking forward to you not only providing us the history of Israel and now, you know, the current different groups that are fighting 
over this land, whether it be Jews, Arabs, Muslims, what you may. But um, yeah, I think that a lot of people are going to have their questions answered by the end. And we're really hoping that you'll give this video a thumbs up and share it. Knowledge is power and we need to, we must get this out there. So Dan, welcome and thank you. Well, thanks, Tanya, and Happy New Year to everyone. We ended off the year together with a great Christmas program, and we're starting off the year together. So certainly this is a, a packed topic, <clears throat> and there's so many yeah. things to go over. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, in your update, I heard you say the word Islamophobia. And how often do you hear the word Christianophobia? I don't know exactly. if that's a word, but, you know, we can't even talk about uh, certain things like that, right? So basically, I've, I've broken down this presentation into four different parts. We're going to try to pack a lot in there, but really we could spend, uh, you know, weeks talking about this because this seems to be an evolving thing. And I got to say right up at the front here, I think part of what our enemy wants to do is to confuse people and take people down rabbit trails and get people so confused. Some people just want to walk away and say, well, why should I get involved anyways and why should I care? But when you see our streets getting filled, like I saw videos in my hometown of Montreal with tens of thousands of people blocking the traffic and, you know, disrupting our way of life over something that they don't even really understand, it's becoming alarming. And I just yes. saw a video with the, the mayor of, of Toronto trying to open up the skating rink for the winter, and she was completely shut down. She didn't know what to do. This is coming to our streets, and it's alarming. It's here. So I and get yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to ask uh, Terenzio to remove me and I'm just going to give you the floor. But uh, the one thing when you were saying about uh, Christianophobia is that when the other side is advancing something, they use victimization. That should always be the red flag. If somebody's being victimized in a country that is for the equality, it's in our constitution that we're all considered equal and somebody through victimization is getting special privilege. So that's got to be a red flag. Okay, Dan, fully over to you now. Thanks, Trenzio. All right. Thanks, Tanya. All right. So for those of you that uh, may know a, li a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit about this, um, some of this may just be a little bit of repeat of some history. And uh, for those of you that are familiar with scripture, this is going to be a little bit like a Sunday school lesson. But for those of you that may not have a whole lot of biblical background, I'm not going to apologize for this, but this is where we really need to start. Because at the root of this is the author of these people. Um, so <clears throat> I'm just going to get right into it. So we're going to start here with the father, the patriarch of these nations. And uh, his name is Abram. And we find, I'm going to read the scripture in just a moment. But God calls Abram out of a place called Ur of the Chaldees. Now, this place, Ur, is in today in, in, uh, in southern Iraq. And uh, we find that God calls him in around the year 1921, uh, B.C., rather. If I say A.D., don't mind me or confuse me. I'm really talking B.C., okay? So around the year 1921, B.C. And a few interesting facts. At that time, Noah is still alive. Remember him, the guy with the boat? And God you know, wiped out the the, uh, the population at the time because there was so much evil? Well, Noah is still alive at that time for around 40 years. And the other interesting thing is, even at that time, there is so much sin going on, even in that part of the world. And recent excavations have found that those people, in, the Chaldeans at the time, were worshipping uh, the, the moon god, Nanar. So they were steeped into idolatry. So God 
speaks to Abram. And we don't know why he chose Abram. He just did. And it says, get out of here. I'm going to take you to a place and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to put a calling on your life. So let me just go ahead and read it to you. And it's found in Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading at verse one. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, let me stop there for a second. That word land is the Hebrew word adema, and it always means ground, land, or property. It's never used politically. You see TikTok videos now, people talking about, oh, it means a political system and that. No, that Hebrew word always means ground, land, and property. Let's go on. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now get this part. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So we see a two-part promise here. First, the promise of a great nation, and secondly, there will be blessings that will come from there. So those who would bless him and his prodigy would be blessed, but those who would curse him would be cursed. Then if we skip down a few chapters to Genesis chapter 15, God pronounces a covenant or makes a covenant with Abram. Remember, it's still Abram here. So in Genesis 15, beginning at verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Abram, and he says, because Abram at this point says, God, I don't have, I, I don't have a son. So, uh, you know, he had a servant by the name of Eliezer. So he says, the word of the Lord came to him, and he says, this man, meaning Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So then the Lord took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Down to verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So then God reconfirms two things to him. Again, I'm going to give you a son and I'm giving you this land. So twice now God confirms these things to him. So then a few years goes by and nothing happens. And so Abram has a wife by the name of Sarai. And Sarai comes up with this bright idea. They don't consult God on this. And she says, Abram, husband, I have this maidservant. Her name is Hagar. She's from Egypt. Why don't you take her as your wife? And maybe you'll have a son with her. And then that could be the son of the promise. And so Abram says, sure. And so, you know, they get married or whatever they do, and she becomes pregnant. And when Sarai sees that Hagar becomes pregnant, she begins to despise her. And scripture says she sends her away. She, dis she despises her. She, she, mistreats, um, uh, she mistreats her so bad that she sends her away. So Hagar is pregnant, and she runs away. So in Genesis chapter 16, this is what happens. As she's running away, the angel of the Lord appears to her and says, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. Now get this. This is how the angel of the Lord describes what Ishmael will be. He says, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. 
and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, here's the thing. God promised that Abraham would be the father of many nations. So God honors the promise. But this was not God's plan from the beginning. This was done outside of God's counsel. And so the angel of the Lord says to Hagar, go back to your mistress. And so she does. And Ishmael is born. Then in Genesis chapter 17, the angel of the Lord appears to Abram and renews the covenant. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appears to him. This is in Genesis 17 and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. But wait a minute now. Abraham or Abram already has a son. God says, but I will now make my covenant with you. So Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Now get this in verse five. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will now be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make, I will make you very fruitful. I will make you, I will make nations of you and kings will come from you, will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Going down to verse 8, the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. God does not forget Ishmael. Down in verse 20 of chapter 17. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, or the King James says princes. That is the word Nasi, which simply means tribal ruler. And I will make him into a great nation. But in verse 21, but God says, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Now, in Genesis chapter 18, following that, the Lord God himself appears to Abraham to confirm this time the birth of his promised son. And he says, this time next year, your wife, Sarah, also her name gets changed, will have a son. Then in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 to 13, Hagar uh, sends Ishmael uh, or, or Hagar and Ishmael get sent away because now God establishes that the promise shall be through through uh, Isaac. So the child grew and was weaned. And then down in verse uh, 17 of Genesis 21, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So then in, in uh, Genesis chapter 25, we get to find out a little bit what happens with Ishmael. And it says in Genesis 25, 18, and they, that is uh, his descendants, they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. So what happened to Ishmael? We know he had 12 sons, and they are listed there in Genesis. We know that they lived in the northern part of the Arabian Peninsula. We know that Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad, that the uh, Muslims claim, uh, most likely a descendant of Ishmael. Now, we also see that God promised to be the God of Abraham's seed. He made a promise, he made a covenant, and he multiplied them, and he gave them a land. But eventually, as you read through the Old Testament, God was very specific. If you make me your God and you follow my laws and my decrees, I will bless you. There will be peace in the land and I will be your God. But if you don't, 
I will allow the surrounding nations to conquer you, and you will be their servants. And that's exactly what happened. So God made these promises, the covenant, and he multiplied them. But eventually what happened is God's people, the descendants of Isaac and Jacob, they broke their promises. And so this leads us to what we call the Bronze Age or the Levant period. This, through the 13th century, we have in the Bible, uh, the book of Judges. And from there, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. So we have a unified kingdom under King Saul, under King David, and then under Solomon. And then the kingdom is divided. You've got the, the 10 northern tribes of Israel to the north. And then in the south, you've got the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, the northern kingdom, uh, it, by the year 720, gets taken into captivity by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom gets taken into captivity by the Babylonians in the year 586. So the land of Canaan at that point gets conquered back and forth and gets ruled by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Arab caliphates, the Crusader kingdoms, back to the Arabs, and finally by the Ottoman Empire until World War I. But all during that time, even when you read that the Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he took away the captives. You read about Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. It says even in scripture that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar left some of the poorest of those Jews in the land to keep vineyards and to, to keep, uh, you know, some of the, the, the agriculture going there. There has always been a remnant in Israel the entire time since Abraham was there. And the promise to be someday re restored as a nation uh, was realized again on the 14th of May in 1948 after 2,000 years. So then we have, well, what about Islam today? What about the Muslim religion? Well, how did that all happen? Well, around the year 610 A.D., uh, the prophet Muhammad came along, and I'm, again, I'm just going to summarize this really quick because there's a long history there. And I'm certainly not an expert in this, but I can give you the basics so you understand how the factions kind of grew. You already know what kind of uh, uh, a child Ishmael was going to be when the angel of the Lord spoke to Hagar about his character, about his demeanor, and what his life was going to be. So Islam grew more, it is said, in 25 years from 610 A.D. than the Roman and Persian empires did in their entirety of their time. So how and why did that happen? Well, at the time that Islam became a thing, there was a weakened economy at the time because of wars and economic collapse. Also, at that time, the Black Plague happened in that part of the world. And one out of every three people died because of disease. The Muslims at the time conquered the word world by the sword, killing as they went. And by the year 750, all of North Africa was basically decimated of Christians. As a matter of fact, by 750 uh, AD, all of Spain and, and uh, or most of Spain and Morocco had been conquered from the Mediterranean. That's a huge tract of land. A lot of this is not going to be reported in your history in your schools, but from so many excavations today, you know, a lot of this has been discovered. It was said that a soldier sitting on a horse 
could not see above the hill of heads from people that have been conquered, that have been decapitated. In a nutshell, the Muslim Crusades were offensive. They lasted 400 or 1,400 years. There are 548 records, 548 battles, sorry, on records. And these left 270 million people dead. That's a lot of people. And if you count the jihadi wars that are still going on today, then the Muslim Crusades, in a sense, are still going on today. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute now. What about all the Crusades? <laughs> what about the Crusades that happened and how violent they were? Well, let's talk about that for a little minute. These Christian Crusades were defensive in nature. They were they happened because they, they were they were putting a, a, a halt to these uh, Muslim Crusades. Some say there were five Crusades, but at the top there were eight Crusades. They lasted 300 years and they've been over for eight hundred years. Bill Warner uh, is a scientist and he does a lot of presentations and he talks about whether or not Islam is a religion of peace. You may have heard this before. Islam is a religion of peace. There are some moderate Muslims. Well, is it really a religion of peace? Between the years of 2001 and 2012, Bill Warner recorded worldwide 19,000 jihadi attacks. 19,000. You can go on his website, and he's got them all listed there by country. 19,000. Is it really a religion of peace? So why? You may ask why. Why is it such a religion of violence? Well, because it's part of their religion. It's part of their doctrine. And it's a doctrine of religion because in, in their, their teachings in the Sirah, 26% of their writings is, is about violence. 14% of the Quran is about violence, and 60% the teachings of the Hadith is, is talking about violence. The very word Islam means submit. Some people would say, well, what about everything that's been going on over in that part of the world? You know, all the, the Americans coming over and, and the drone attacks and that. By comparison and by... Uh, the very sheer number of people that have died from those wars in that part of the world, a Muslim is twice as likely to die by another Muslim than by a drone airstrike. And that's by factual numbers. So, historically, Muslims killed Jews and Christians. Now, some would say, well, you know, we're part of the same religion. We follow the same God. Absolutely not. There is no Abrahamic brotherhood. Now, I've heard that term tossed around a little bit recently. Oh, we're all part of the same Abrahamic religion. Absolutely not. The angel of the Lord said to Hagar, your son will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone and against his brothers. And God said to Abraham about Isaac, made promises and covenants to him. So Muslims also kill other Muslims. A quick study of the, the history of the Shiites and, and the Sunnis, they have always been blood thirsty bloodbath battles to this day. On top of that, the Muslims kill Buddhists and Hindus as well as non-religious people, secularists, infidels, and Kafirs. That is their motto. They conquer by killing. 
So this will lead us to the issue of the Palestinians today. When you have, um, uh, you know, we can talk briefly about what happened October 7th in Israel. Uh, you know, I have to, I have to, I, I don't know if laugh is, is the right terminology, but I, I see people open up their Bibles sometimes on, on TikTok and they point to the map section in the back and it says Palestine. And they say, see, it rightfully belongs to the Palestinians. We need to talk about that history just a little bit so we get a real clear understanding. Because it says Palestine doesn't mean it belongs to the modern-day Palestinians. Anyway, let's get there for just a moment. There was a Roman emperor, Hadrian, who was a Roman emperor at the time. And if you look at his story a little bit, he was an opportunist. But he was the emperor who uh, ruled over the area of Palestine. And there was a, an incredible revolt in the, that area between 132 and 136. And Hadrian came in with an iron fist. And he just about wiped out the entire Jewish population. It, it pretty much was an entire genocide. And so he renamed that area. Um, uh, he, he renamed that province Syria Palestina, and he renamed it that way as an insult to the Jews because that area, especially the that area of Gaza, had been ruled previously by the Philistines, and so it was really literally a slap in the face to the to the Jews in that area. And he so resolved to stamp out the Jews of their religion and out of their existence that he took all of the Jewish prisoners and he sold them as slaves. Then he forbade the teaching of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, their own religion. He forbade them teaching that. Then he named their, their province, uh, Syria, Palestina. He changed Jerusalem's name to Aelia Capitolina. Then all of their synagogues were replaced, were replaced by Roman temples. On top of that, he forbade the Jews from even, even looking upon their capital to the point where if they did so, they would be killed. And many, many of the Jews, especially the Jewish rabbis, martyred themselves by doing so. And so Hadrian's efforts lasted, had lasting effects, and the Jews would not regain control of their homeland for over 1,800 years. Britain then took over the uh, that area of the country or that part of the world, Canaan, uh, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire in 1948. So peace has never really existed in that part of the world because of terrorist groups today of the Arab nations, like uh, Arab states like Hamas and Hezbollah. And these groups exist to decolonize Israel of Jews. You know, some people say, well, what about the peace treaties that, you know, they were looked at in that? There will never be peace in that area because those groups don't want peace. What they want is a complete annihilation of the Jews from that area. They want them exterminated. However, historically, Jews have lived there for 3,000 years. They've never been extinct from there. So the Israelis are not foreign conquerors, but to view them as such really requires a lack of understanding of history of the region as well as an inconsistent view of colonization. So now some people would look to see what's going on with the IDF coming in 
and defending themselves from what happened on October the 7th. And they will say, well, look, now, you know, the IDF has killed like, what, 22,000 Palestinians. And some question that number. They said, well, where did they get that number? Where did they get 22,000 Palestinians killed? You know where they got that number? They got that from the Palestinian Health Authority. Do you know who runs the Palestinian Health Authority? Hamas does. Is that a reliable source? Absolutely not. So some will say that Israel is committing apartheid against the Muslims and the Arabs of that region. So let me ask you a question. Can a Jew walk freely in Gaza or the West Bank? And the question is absolutely not. A Jew would be killed instantly in Gaza or the West Bank. Let me ask you another question. Can a Palestinian walk freely in the streets of Jerusalem? Absolutely they can. Can a Palestinian work in Gaza? Oh, sorry, not in Gaza, but in Jerusalem, in Israel. Absolutely they can. As a matter of fact, some of the people, some of the Hamas people that came in on October the 7th and committed those atrocities and, and uh, those mass killings that were killed on that day in Israel actually had work visas to work in Israel. Can a Palestinian go to school in Israel? Absolutely they can. Can they go to Israel and get medical treatment? Absolutely they can. So if some would say, well, there's a genocide going on of the Palestinians, it's rather the reverse, right? That's what's been going on. And if there is a genocide, it's Hamas intentionally going into Israel and killing innocent men, women, and children. I mean, you know, if you follow mainstream media, you're not going to see the truth. You know, we follow a few people that actually live in Israel. I happen to have a friend that's been pastoring a church, King of Kings Assembly, right there in Jerusalem for 40 years. And I get some of my information from him. He's actually been there for 40 years. We have a Jewish friend that's also there that reports live from there. You know, and the, the rockets are flying overhead. Those rockets are not uh, directed at uh, military installation. They're they're directed at, at just civilians. And some of the footage that has been released, that is now released, that um, that you see what they've done to to pregnant women, you know, rip the, their their unborn children out of their bellies, uh, uh, a young child, an infant put in the oven to bake while the woman, the mother was raped in front of her children, children killed in their beds. That is a genocide. And that's not what Israel has been doing. Now, some would say, well, where do you draw that line? Anytime there is a war, it is awful. It's horrible. But the IDF is not intentionally killing civilians. As a matter of fact, they go in and they warn them, we're going to bomb this area in, in 24 hours, in 48 hours. We've seen photos of the tunnels that Hamas has been building for years underneath hospitals, underneath schools. We've seen all of the rockets that they house in the schools in civilian areas. You know, you may have seen the photos when... Uh, uh, on October the 7th, when they um, when Hamas came and, and they took some of these uh, dead Jews that they 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 took over from from Israel and they put them on the back of, of their pickup trucks and they paraded them through the streets of Gaza. Look at the reaction of the Palestinians, how they were rejoicing. And some would say, oh, they're they're innocent Palestinians and not all Palestinians are bad. They were rejoicing. They were shouting and, and rejoicing and giving each other gifts afterwards. 
I'm sure there may be some that are pal that are that are innocent that don't really want to be there. But the majority of them, you know, Tanya just showed the video on her weekly update of how they teach their children a different ideology. And it's hard to wrap our heads around that sometimes. In 2005, when Israel pulled out of Gaza, one of the things they did is they left an incredible uh, economy for the Gazan for the people of Gaza, and it, it constituted uh, a greenhouse system where the people of Gaza, the Palestinians, can have a great economy. The first thing they did was they completely destroyed it, smashed it to pieces. They didn't want to have an economy. They weren't interested in that. But as the, the Israelis were actually pulling out of Gaza, the first thing that happened is the Palestinians were actually shooting at them in their backs and the rockets started immediately to fly into Israel. How is that even possible? The Palestinians have a program called Pay to Slay, where if they uh, kill a Jew, they get payment for it for the rest of their lives. So some would say, well, what about the refugees? What about those that are literally trying to flee those areas? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. In 1971, the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation uh, Organization, was in Jordan. And so to fund uh, some of their organization and, and what they were doing to annihilate the Jews, they would actually uh, set up roadblocks in, in Jordan and they would stop cars at gunpoint and they would demand money and payment from innocent people. Sometimes they would even kill them when they would get what they wanted. Then they started hijacking airplanes and blowing them up. And there's still videos online that you can see them doing that. Then they would fire rockets into Israel. Then war breaks out there and breaks out into what was called Black September. Then when the Jordanian authorities decided to take action over that, the Palestinians turned around and they killed the Jordanian prime minister. So they rounded up the Palestinians and got them kicked out of there. And many of them landed up in Lebanon, a mostly Christian nation at that time, which plunged Lebanon into four years of their worst civil war ever, their bloodiest, murderous civil war that they've ever seen. In 1991, Kuwait expels 300,000 Palestinians. That's 18% of their population due to their violence. Today, because of what's going on, uh, you know, with the IDF moving in to, to clear out the terrorists out of Gaza, there's not one there's not one Arab that wants any Palestinian refugees. This is just a sampling of why. They know what these Palestinians will do to their own countries. And Arab nations don't want the Palestinians because they know of their destructive history as refugees. Again, the angel of the Lord said to Hagar that descendants of Ishmael will be like wild donkeys. Their hands will be against all of their brothers and against everyone. And this goes on today. So let me wrap up with this fourth section here, because some people, it's uh, uh, what's going around today is some will say, well, OK, so. Right now, we want to uh, determine whether or not we're going to uh, respond by supporting Israel or not, because obviously uh, Israel that we know today, because they've 
um, you know, they've not received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior or as their Messiah. Therefore, they're, they're, um, uh, they've rejected their Messiah. Therefore, their covenant and their promises are broken. But now we have the church. So the church receives now the promises of God through the Old Testament. Some of you would know this as replacement theology, and that's something that's going around that's very prevalent these days. And I want to just address that very briefly. I want you to know that um, in Genesis chapter 17, and I read this early, but I need to reemphasize it again. God says in Genesis 17, verse 7, he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants for generations to come. Now, that word everlasting, the Hebrew word for that is olema. And it simply means this, eternity and perpetuity. It doesn't mean conditional. It means forever, for all of eternity. And then he says again in verse 8, the whole land of Canaan, where you are to, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants. And just because Israel at the time of Christ rejected Christ as their savior does not mean that the promises of God in the Old Testament are now transferred to the church. That's not at all what it means. As some, some would use the verses in Galatians 6, 14 to 16, which says, uh, where Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is where they get it now. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcisions means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. Now, I don't want to confuse anyone, so I'm not going to spend much time on this, but there's two views on here. The first one is what's called the abolitionist view. Basically, what this means in a nutshell is that the covenant with Abraham was entirely abolished. Okay, so the Jews rejected Christ. They led him to the cross. They crucified him. So that's it. The promises of God giving a covenant forever with Abraham, they rejected him. That's it. It's abolished. However, in Paul writing to the Galatians stated that Jesus died in order to bring our lives the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. But if the covenant had been abolished, then what Paul says is wrong. But we also see in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20, this is what it reads. When God made his promise to Abraham, this is good here, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And then in verse 15, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Then down in verse 18 of Hebrews 6, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set up before, set up before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is what this means. We can trust God to be faithful in the new covenant in Christ because God has always been faithful in the old covenant. In other words, God never breaks his old promises to make a new promise. And so God did make a new covenant in the New Testament to bless the church, but he never abolished the Old Testament. I'm going to I'm going to expand that in just a minute. And so those that are abolitionists thought, hmm, 
yeah, so we have a problem with that. So we're going to change a little bit. And so they reconstructed it. So that's called the reconstructionist. Okay. Again, I don't want to confuse you. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. So here's what, what the reconstructionists say. They say, okay, so um, part of the promises are going to be changed. Now we're going to, now God is going to give us spiritual promises through the church. In other words, we're, we're, where the Bible talks about we are grafted into Israel. That means that we have the promises to the church. Uh, and that's true. We do have some. But what they fail to realize is if, so I do a lot of pruning as a gardener in that. But if I take a, a branch and I graft it into a tree, the, the tree itself has to stay alive. But what they're saying is if, if the Old Testament is null and void, you can't take the Old Testament and kill it and just keep the graft. It doesn't work that way. Right? So they contradict themselves. So this is nowhere affirmed in Scripture. Right? So the promise of God being made to his seed, as Paul said, talking about Christ, the seed singular, Paul also uses that word seeds plural. So I don't want to confuse you in this, but the scripture also refutes this. And he says in Romans 15, 8, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that God's promises to the patriarchs, of which Abraham is the head of, might be confirmed. God is restoring Israel to her land, to his promises. And I want to close with this. In Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 15, this is how God brings it all to pass. This is really good stuff. God says, in that day, and that day is speaking about the great fulfillment in the thousand-year kingdom that is to come, but we're seeing the foreshadow it right now. In that day, God says, I will restore David's fallen shelter. This is speaking of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom when they were all one nation. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. I will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. I want to go back to that in a minute. And all the nations that bear my name declares the Lord who will do these things. Get this now. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruins, ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Let me go back to verse 12 for a second where he says, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Edom is that part of the world where Ishmael and his descendants settle. And that means that God will bring even those hostile nations, hostile people that were hostile toward God's people, and they will become a sharer of the promises of God in that day when God restores all of the blessings fully to Israel and to the entire world because God will restore all things to himself when he sits on that throne. And God brings the fullness of his glory to Israel during a 1,000-year reign. But the Bible tells us in the book of Revelations that there's a seven-year period period 
that's coming upon this world of tribulation like we've never seen before. And we've got to prepare ourselves for that. And I, you know, I hope that as we prepare ourselves to face that, you know, we're talking about uh, possibly having Palestinians come to Canada. You know, um, I'm sure that there are some great people and God has made everyone. And God, we see, we see the fact that God doesn't make any mistakes. God is willing that all should come to know him, that none should perish. And he gives us all that chance. But the only way to really have peace in this world, you know, that was the theme of our Christmas program where we ended up this year in Action for Canada, finding peace on earth. And finding peace is not through Islam. It's through finding Jesus Christ. And God promised through the seed of Abraham a savior. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to share with you tonight. You know, and we want you to have hope. So, Tanya, yeah. I hope that's, uh, you know, I know that's a lot of history. And it's, it, you know, it's probably like a, a eight-hour lesson packed into, I don't know, like 45 minutes. But I, I hope it's not been too confusing. But I just want people to know, yes, we are compassionate to what's going on in Israel. We want to support, you know, like, are all Jews good? No. But if they're not, if they don't have Christ in their heart, we expect them not to act like they have Christ in their heart. So we want all people to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, and amen to that. Um, you know, we have been bringing awareness to many different situations where Canada has been under attack. A lot of people talk about, you know, going through COVID, uh, you know, and then all the other rising concerns with our kids in the school and as well with the mass immigration and the threat now that we're seeing on our street and building. And that's only the beginning of that. And that yet they don't want us to talk about God at times. There's that small handful who, you know, say if that, you know, if this is the direction, you know, Canada has gone through, there's a few people that, you know, we've heard from, but the majority of people are giving us, are supporting us. And they understand that all countries, all nations are not governed by the same amazing principles and values that Canada embraces. And what the, with throughout the Western nations, what the commonality was, is that they were all based on biblical Christian principles. And I've always said that gives you the freedom to believe or not to believe with fear, without fear of persecution, oppression, or even death. And you know, logically, if you take a look at the 56 Islamic majority countries, North Korea, Pakistan, China, India, they are all living under oppressive governments and have unbelievable violence and restrictions held against their citizens. And so we say that this is, you know, it's a spiritual battle because when um, a country, a nation has a system of belief, uh, a religion, whether it's it's Buddha or, you know, different things like um, Islam or the Khalistani Sikhs, we can literally see in those nations that they don't have a democracy. Unbelievers cannot live there, you know, freely without experience um, hardship or oppression. And yet the West, when we cared about who we voted for and the fact that our foundation was maintained on biblical principles, which are good principles, you know, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't cheat on, you know, your spouse, uh, you shouldn't lie. I mean, these are all good principles to live by. So we just want to encourage our viewers, um, you know, that unlike other religions, especially, uh, I should say, Islam, uh, it's either submit or uh, face penalties and consequences. The difference with Christianity is that our God 
fully gives you free will and to make a decision, you know, to accept him or to reject him. Now, the consequences, if you're a Christian and we're considering, you know, what happens after we die is that there's an eternity and you're going to stand before God one day and you're going to, you know, have to, he's going to say, you, you didn't know my son. And so, you know, it takes courage to come on the show, Dan, and to be able to put the truths forward and the facts as you have, because we actually care about those, you know, that don't know Jesus. And Islam has minimized him to a mere prophet and not acknowledged him as the son of God. And John 3.16 in the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. And now, if this is a good news, this is a good news, and we're wanting people to accept that, but if, you know, they have something negative to say or they reject it, one day, you know, you're going to have to answer for that when you have been given the opportunity that potentially, with all of the evidence that we've provided, that maybe we're right. And so we're just trying to present that in a way that people can do their own research, we provide the information, we cover so many different issues, you know, then what's this? But this this issue of um, a spiritual battle in Canada is one of the biggest ones that we're having right now because morality has taken a backseat to everything. And, you know, it's, it's based on faith and, and biblical values that uh, morality and ethics and honesty, uh, you know, were part of our fabric of our society. And so where did it go? Well, if we're going to examine that, this is what, you know, in one way, what we've done tonight. And, and so I just want to thank you so much. I think that you've presented and you answered a lot of questions that I've heard either comments that people have been making on social media and or even conversations that I've been having with people on one-on-one. I just want to say something, Tanya, too. Something happened worldwide <clears throat> October 7th that maybe people don't understand. There's um, people are taking a side with this, you know, initially people were like, oh, yeah, Israel has the right to defend themselves when they first heard about what happened, uh, you know, in the kibbutzes and, and all that. But there seems to be a shift now where people are taking a stand back and say, OK, enough now. And there is a lot of anti-Semitism happening in the world and people just don't know why. It's just like, well, you know, like we're seeing um jewish uh, businesses like attacked and we're seeing you know jewish people harassed more and more i mean that's always been the mm-hmm. case but i really feel like you know we've been saying with what we've been dealing with the last number of years that it it's a spiritual thing you know it's a, it's a demonic thing and i really feel that uh as of october 7th there's like a new level of demonic attack that's that our world has been unleashed to and um you know, so we need to be aware of that as well. And I, if people understand, uh, and some of our, our audience will understand exactly what I'm talking about, we're at a new level of the end times. And I think if our enemy knows that his time is short, he's he's going at this like full tilt. And right. so there's going to be, you know, we've been talking about the fact that, okay, so now it's going to be uh, going against the Jewish population. And we've heard it said, you know, they're going after the Saturday people, and next they're going to be going after the Sunday people because the, the Christian church is, is being maligned and attacked now as well, too. You know, yeah, ex- but I, I exactly. want to tell you something, too. 
Um, you know, uh, most a lot of people know I was a paramedic um, here in Nova Scotia for just about 30 years. And uh, one of my last partners was uh, his family immigrated here in Canada a number of years ago from Iraq. And so he grew up in a, in a Muslim home, but his, his parents were not practicing Muslims anymore. They didn't know where, where they were anymore, but his father was an artist. And he showed me a, a photo, a, like a, a large, really large painting that his father had painted recently. And it completely blew my mind. And it was a painting, you know, we've seen that famous painting of Jesus with his uh, 12 disciples at the Last Supper. Jesus sitting at a table with six of his disciples on, uh, on either end, you know, at a long table, and they're all facing out. Well, he had repainted that painting, but with Jesus, with his back to us, serving his disciples at the Last Supper. And I thought, wow, like that's how, you know, I perceive Jesus as, as, a, as a servant, right? And I asked him, I said, where did your father get that idea? He says, my father started reading the Bible, and that's how he perceives Jesus. And I said, so is your father a Christian? He says, no, but he is seriously examining the life of Jesus. And, you know, he's, he's been lied to about Jesus all these years by our religion. But he's yeah. realizing that our religion was wrong about Jesus. And he, Jesus, he's really intrigued by the life of Jesus. And this is how he's seeing your Jesus. Right? Well, I think, and so, yeah. I was going to say, Dan, on that one, I want to share my screen in a minute um, just to give some percentages. But what you're saying right now is we're hearing a lot of Muslims are coming, are converting to Christianity, uh, you know, and that's concerning for them because in Islam, it, you know, once you do that, uh, it doesn't fare well for you. But here in the West, uh, you know, they have the gift of being able to make that decision in freedom and live that out. And I was talking to somebody, actually, it was Bill, uh, Bill Warner, W-A-R-N-E-R. -E if people want to look his name up and research him, he does amazing, intense uh, videos giving the history of all of this and can answer many, many more questions on it. But it took me a couple of times of listening to a part of his video when he was talking about, uh, you know, Islam and uh, Muhammad and then Christ, uh, you know, the Christian and 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 Jesus. And what he was saying is, is that, you know, a lot of people will look at Christians who are human flawed, flawed human beings, the same as Muslims will admit they're, you know, trying to live a good life as, you know, Christians are, but you're going to come across, all of us are sinners. The only perfect one that walked us, this earth was Jesus Christ. And so what they were saying was, if you want to understand Islam, don't look at possibly the moderate Muslim, look at the man behind Islam. And what he was referring to is that, um, you know, a moderate Muslim is trying to live a good life and uh, in, in whatever obedience. And so, but when you go and you look at Muhammad, the character of Muhammad was, uh, you know, a rapist and a murderer and having married a six-year-old and consummated that marriage at nine years old. And, you know, there's just these different things about the character of the person that they're following. And then when you look at a Christian, again, look at the man. And that man was Jesus Christ, who set the example that if you want to talk about, you know, a religion of peace, if you want to talk about, you know, how Christ modeled on this earth, it's, you know, completely opposite ends of the scales of whom a Christian follows and, you know, those of um, Islam. 
And so with that, I, I just wanted to bring up my screen for a moment, Terenzio. Uh, you were talking, you were giving some numbers uh, right now. And I know that through the media, when you're talking about how Israel was attacked, and I want our viewers to consider that, you know, we live next to America and we haven't had bombs coming into uh, Canada cons consistently. Uh, and, and, you know, we've never had to live in that kind of life, you know, for our whole existence. So if it turned around that America in a, in a, in a state like, say, for instance, Washington and British Columbia, you know, our neighbors here. And so if they had attacked come into Canada and t attacked BC citizens in the absolutely horrific way that the Israeli unarmed citizens, uh, civilians had been attacked, how far would we want America to go to annihilate that, to, to, to make sure, you know, that d didn't happen again? Everybody would like to talk about uh, peace, but there are, as I've mentioned up above here, there is a difference between war and genocide, and there is a difference between revenge and defending your family and country against very dark, evil forces. Now, when we're talking about Palestinians, I would encourage you, please go to my weekly update, which will be in the description below, because I discuss more of this, that we're not seeing that all Palestinians pose a threat, and it's horrible that they've uh, been raised in an environment, but what they're instilling in their children and teaching them is to uh, to murder and to kill and to hate. And you can see the evidence up here. It's very well known. The UN has been addressed with it. They've been told not to fund UNRWA anymore. The pay to slay is real. But what we didn't discuss in my weekly update was the fact that uh, these initiatives, as I say, are funded by our tax dollars. There was a recent poll of Arab Muslim residents of the West Bank in Gaza, which was conducted by the Arab world for research. Okay, so no Western society did this. The Arab world did it, and which showed that the majority, 74% of Palestinians, supported the barbaric attacks on October 7th against innocent unarmed civilians. And if you go into this report, Thank you, Trenzio. You'll see other numbers that will just uh, shake you to, to the core. And then in closing, you've made a comment. I was making some notes about they conquer by killing. But what Canadians and the West needs to understand, all Western nations, is they also do it by stealth jihad. And on that report, the rise of uh, radical Islam, I'll try to remember to put that in description if you want to read that report. I created it in 2018 and 19 and launched it. There is something called the Explanatory Memorandum, which was created by the Muslim Brotherhood, which is in associations throughout the Western world. There's the Muslim Association of Canada, who has on their website their alignment with the Muslim Brotherhood, and they're freely operating in Canada. And in the Explanatory Memorandum, uh, which was found in a second basement in America, they had not expected or wanted this document, but it was there to be discovered, but it was their plan to enter the West. And it was to enter our miserable house from within and take over. And so silent jihad, stealth jihad is where they come in. They start claiming there's Islam Islamophobia because we don't like that they're trying to push Islam into uh, Canada to receive special privilege. We don't like the rising crime that's associated uh, with it, and we don't agree with it. And so then they get into all levels of government, which they've done. There's at least a dozen in the Liberal Party. 
And so if we don't like the sounds of this, then we need to organize and get very much ready for the next elections at all levels of government and get our people in. And just in in closing with that, in uh, 2021 and 2019, when we had elections, uh, the Islamist uh, Trudeau had paid $25,000 to have a booklet filled out for the Muslims to Muslims get out and vote. And of course, it all promoted the liberals. And, and how in the world, you know, should they be able to do that? And the imams across the nation were all in sync and very much involved in politics. And so there's nothing in the Bible, and you can confirm this as a pastor, that says that there should be a separation of church and state. There should be no politics within the church. Well, if that's the way you're going to stand and the Muslims are coming in and announcing it in, in their uh, mosques, you know, we're, we're not going to fare well in the next election. So we need to get very serious about this as a solution as well moving forward. Okay, so um, you know what? Actually, I see a couple of possible questions here. I know it's we wanted to stick to the top of the hour. We've been exactly an hour. And so let me see if we can do a couple of questions. Um, okay, so I answered Chris's question already. Okay, thanks for the informative presentation. I found this, okay, God's prophetic plan chart helpful in understanding the end times in Israel. Okay, thanks, Chris. I'll look at that during the show. I was also answering Chris's questions, so I think we're okay. I don't see any further uh, questions that have come up there. Anyways, Dan, awesome show. Awesome, awesome show. Going to gain, ask everybody, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share this information. We need to be on the right side of this and Israel has been a long-standing ally of Canada and if we look at you know who who would be our greatest enemy it certain certainly isn't Israel we've been able to coexist with Jewish people without threat of ever thinking about being beheaded or uh, mm-hmm. massive horrific hate being spewed in our streets <laughs> anyways my friend uh, what would you have to say in closing or anything that you'd like to add I just want to encourage people, you know, with the state of things in the world right now, uh, you know, we just came off of our Christmas break. Your heart may be feeling heavy. You may still be seeking for peace in your own heart and in your own life. There's a lot going on in the world right now, but there may be a lot going on in your world, in your home. And some of you may be going through a tough time right now, uh, economically, financially, um, maritally, uh, physically. Um, you know, and this is kind of a heavy topic, and this may have been a topic that uh, really is not uh, in your domain at all right now, but you just happen to have tuned in tonight. We just want you to know that there is a God that is on his throne and that he loves you very much. And uh, maybe I would just like to just close in prayer, Tanya, and just uh, pray for folks just to find comfort in their life. There, uh, you know, I just want to encourage you to pick up a Bible and uh, just begin to read it. And, you know, the Bible is a spiritual book. And uh, the Bible tells us that because it is a spiritual book, that we must have God's spirit within us to understand it. But it doesn't hurt to just say, God, this is your book. Help me to understand it. And the Lord will help you to understand his book. So, Father in heaven, I thank you so much tonight. There is so much history in your book. And I thank you for the promise that you made to Abram and then changed his name to Abraham. And we don't exactly know why you just chose him, except maybe that he was 
the most righteous man in that area, Ur of the Chaldees, and you brought him to that land of Israel, the Canaan, and such a prodigy and such a, a rich heritage from his life. And certainly that part of the world has been uh, fought over so many battles over centuries, literally. And I know it's always been my dream and my desire to someday go to the Holy Land. And so many people, maybe even on, on this show tonight and, and those that will be watching, have had the privilege to go to the Holy Land and, and walk where Jesus walked and walk where King David walked and, and seen those places. But Lord, there may be some people uh, watching this and maybe not tonight live, but uh, later on that are really struggling in their own life to find meaning in their life, me, looking for meaning as to why maybe they exist in this day and in this age. And I pray, Lord, that they would find comfort in the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them as you tell us in your word through nature, to what you have created. I pray that you would reveal yourself through the scriptures. And uh, we know, Father, that in this uh, in this day where there's so much hurt and bitterness and anger and confusion in this world, that there is a God that loves each and every person. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, on, uh, on this earth to die as a ransom for our sin. And we know we are all sinners. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so I pray tonight, Lord, that uh, those watching may just be able to uh, cry out to God and repent of their sins and uh, just receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, Father, it's our desire tonight just to give hope uh, through, through the word of God and uh, through Jesus Christ. So thank you for the opportunity that we have to share this good news. And uh, I know that this... Um, uh, this episode tonight would have been a little bit different from our regular ones, but we just want to share the good news of Jesus Christ and give hope to people that there is a God that's still on the throne. And there is a people that we can bless to receive a blessing from God. And so tonight, in closing, we just want to bless Israel. We want to bless those who are doing a good work in Israel. We thank you for those that are, are feeding the hungry and the poor in Israel. I want to pray, Lord, for... Um, my friend that is pastoring there in Jerusalem and teaching people about Jesus Christ. And we just pray your blessing and your protection. And Father, we just pray that there would be peace in Jerusalem. And we pray this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much, Dan. And um, I was just uh, thinking about it, you know, that I want people to understand that we care about the Palestinians as well. We care about their salvation. We care about the Muslims that are in Canada. And that is one of the reasons why we would prefer to talk, you know, about Jesus and get him in the right context to hope that more would come to a saving grace in him. We don't do this out of spite in any way. Um, I did miss one little question that Melanie is letting me know here. And I think it is an important one to address. Um, Henry was asking where the Palestinians come from, the name of the Palestinians, and how did that come about? And I understand, uh, just as we're, we're signing off here, that that biblically came as a, a name Philistine. The Philistines. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just wanted to I, I did answer. address that a little earlier on. It was kind yeah. of a slap in the face to the Jews living at that time, but uh, it's Emperor mm -hmm. uh, Hadrian that changed that name to uh, uh, Palestina. So that. You know, we, we use that term kind of loosely today. There's never been a country of Palestine. 
you know, so it's uh, when people say, you know, free, free Palestine, there's never been a Palestine land or it's, country that, you know. Right. Some will say there's 57 Islamic majority states because they'll include Palestine, but it's actually, it's not. It's actually a district within Israel. So what we see going right. on is actually a civil war, and yep. uh, which can be hard for some people to understand as well. But I'm, I'm glad that we were able to add that at the end. Anyways, my friend, thank you so much. People might s hear that I'm a little you know, stuffed up and everything. I've been a little sick for two weeks and <laughs> I can tell you I'm happy to get through this one tonight, but uh, was really excited to have this interview with you. So God bless you. And well, I'll be seeing you soon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much. Again, I'm just going to, you know, announce our guest for next week is Dr. Kelly Pelfi. And um, I think this is a very important topic, the hidden epidemic of male sexual abuse. One in six males are sexually abused. And uh, it's a conversation I believe that needs to happen, especially with all of the grooming, indoctrinating and sexualizing of our children in the school system and introducing them to all of the pornographic material and how that has the potential of absolutely destroying uh, the life of these young men moving forward. And so um, join us next week on January 17th. All right. As always, I close with a, there will be a few verses uh, today. I just want you to understand when we talk about um, other religions such as Islam and where they have taken so much for the Bible to create the uh, Quran, Hadith, and other teachings. And what does the Bible say about uh, changing the Word of God? And it actually comes with some warnings, and, and that's a reason why we would like to just, you know have this conversation too. It says, Ye shall not add unto the Word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And that's from Deuteronomy 4.2. And then in Revelations 22.18-19, it says, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that which are written within the book, within the Bible. And, and you can understand why it is so critically important that people not change the word of God. And when you minimize Jesus to a mere prophet, uh, that affects people's eternity and their salvation. And so there's no doubt why God is, is going to have those that have deceived so many pay a very high price for that. All right, the next Bible verse, just to give you some encouragement, Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. And so finally in Psalm, with that in mind, the next one turns you, okay, so then look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Psalm 105.4. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Again, please share this video and God bless you and may God bless Canada.